Again, I want to welcome all of you to uh, this worship service today. Uh, I was reading CNN this morning, uh, the website, and there's a great article I, I refer you to it. It's called, this, this Easter Feels Different. And boy, I hope it does. After all that we've been through uh, these last couple of years and for the first time coming back for in-person worship on Easter, we're different people. And we live in a, a very different world than the one uh, where we last saw each other on an Easter three years ago. So um, our church is different. And this is part of the article as well, talking about how churches are, there's silver lining to this pandemic. We're doing things differently. You know, we never even heard the term hybrid worship services before. Uh, now we know that. We have a, a in-person and online Lots of different things. So just all that to say, we are in a new chapter, new pastor, uh, new era, new day. Uh, and uh, if you haven't been around, we, we welcome you back. And for those of you who are new, we, we would love to have you uh, on this journey. We're, we're excited about what's ahead. Today, I want to be very clear about mes- my message. I I want to ask and attempt to answer the question. It's, I don't want to be so audacious that I can actually answer this question in its totality. But I want to ask the question, what difference does Easter make in our daily lives? I think we all know the story. My guess is that we've all heard the story that Jesus was crucified that he died and rose again from the day that from the dead. That's what we celebrate on Easter. But maybe what we don't know is what are the implications for my life today because of what happened two thousand years ago. Uh, very important question to ask, and perhaps no writer in the New Testament captures so fully in just a few short sentences the glory in the message of Easter than the Apostle Paul Peter does in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Uh, just give you a little context. 1 Peter is one of the letters that uh, have been written to churches that are recorded in the, the New Testament. And this one, most scholars believe that Peter wrote it to a church that was experiencing tremendous hardship. They were under persecution from... Uh, uh, Nero, who was uh, the maniacal uh, emperor of Rome. And so he is writing this letter, at least in part, to encourage them. So let me read these verses to you. They're just uh, verses 3 through 5 of First Peter chapter 1. This is loaded, so pay attention. <laughs> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray together. God, we pray that um, these words may come alive to us this morning, your living word, that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, 
Speak to our minds. May we be open to hear your voice uh, through the scripture and through the meditations of my heart. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Before I begin my sermon, I just want to say at the end of my sermon, I'm going to say, he is risen. And then you're going to say, he is risen indeed. Okay, so don't blow it when we get to the end. To the end, be sure to pay attention, and that's, that's the cue. And the words are here, so you don't even have to, if you forget, just look at the banners. Uh, at least five people told me that after the last sermon. So let's get right to it. What difference does Easter, can Easter, make in our lives today? Well, I, I think the first thing that we learn from this passage is that There is always a chance for a new beginning, a second, third, fourth, infinite number of new beginnings, chances because of Easter. Peter writes in this passage that in God's great mercy, we are given a new birth. In other words, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's always a chance, new beginnings, New opportunities. There's always an opportunity for forgiveness. There's always hope for our lives and for the world. Peter knew full. I I think it's so interesting that it is Peter who is writing these words to this church. Because he knows about second chances. He knows, oh, I think deep in his heart about forgiveness. Because remember it was Peter who was the disciple who who denied Christ three times on the night in which he was betrayed. And before Christ's arrest, he told the disciples, you will betray me, every one of you. And of course, Peter, the impetuous Peter, the kind of bold uh, Peter, stood up and said, no, not me, Lord, the rest of them. They may deny you, but not me. I will be with you. Basically, I'll go to prison for you. They can kill me, but I will not abandon you. And then, just a few hours later, Peter denies around a campfire. Christ is arrested, and, and three times he denies Christ. I did not know this man. Two times to a little servant girl. And the scriptures tell us that when Peter realized what he had done. He went away and he wept bitterly. I mean, that is deep sorrow. Good intentions. But he failed. Then there is this wonderful scene in the Gospel of John, 21st chapter, where Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to these disciples. Did you know that Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection? And here's one of the instances. The disciples are confused. I mean, can you imagine what they've been through? To have given their life to this this traveling rabbi for three years, thinking that he was the hope of the world, the Messiah, and now he's been crucified. What do we do? Well, we go back to what we know. And for some of the disciples, this Peter included, this was fishing. So they're next to the Sea of Galilee, and and Jesus appears. And he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? 
Interesting question. Well, of course, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Three times. I think he's rewinding the three times that that Peter denied him to let him know, I'm with you, Peter. I know you failed, but you love me. It's the relationship that counts. And Jesus, so interesting, he doesn't condemn Peter. Doesn't dismiss him as a coward. Doesn't even say, hey, Peter, thanks a lot, man. (laughs) No, he forgives him. And he wants Peter to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, he is forgiven. And beyond forgiveness, he points him toward a future, a new beginning for Peter. I think what he's saying to Peter is, Peter, you can't get bogged down by the past. man. Don't look in the rearview mirror. Look forward. You see, I think, I think God is more interested in our future than in our past. More future, more interested in who we can become than who we've been. This is just how God operates in our lives. He's saying, I've got a big job for you, Peter. You're the rock. Upon you, I will build my church. Wow, this guy that failed was a coward. Jesus looks him in the eye and he goes, oh no, Peter, you have a great future. You're going to do amazing things. You're going to lead this movement. It's going to change the world, turn the world upside down, and still is turning the world upside down 2,000 years later. Wow. Amazing scene. One of my favorite scenes in the Bible. And Peter did it. Amazingly enough. Next time we see Peter is in the book of Acts which is the history of the early church. You know what he's doing? He's preaching with boldness and with power and with courage to thousands of people. And the authorities are telling him, stop preaching or we'll throw you in prison. He's been down that road before. I don't care. He keeps preaching. He's thrown into prison. And you know what he's preaching? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the guts of the preaching of the early church. It's what made all the difference. Because of the resurrection, Peter is a changed man. You know, that's one of the proofs of the resurrection, is the changed lives. Yeah, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then why did these disciples go out and do this? You ever thought about that? He's he's bold, he's courageous. God has given him a new future. Yeah, that's good news, isn't it? Good news, isn't it? (laughs) God is a God of great mercy, is what Peter says. You know what mercy is? Mercy is getting into our skin, understanding who we are, knowing our feelings, God knows what we feel, what we've done. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. And what God 
wants to tell, tell us this morning is don't get bogged down by your past failures and sin. He wants us to move forward in our lives to be free, to be forgiven. You know, today, I know in a crowd this large, some of you may feel exactly like Peter. And if you don't feel like it today, you've probably felt it at some point in your life. And if you haven't felt it at some point in your life, you probably will feel it. <laughs> your hopes have been crushed. Your dreams have been unfulfilled. You meant to do well. Your intentions have been good. But somehow you come up short. Things have ended badly. And you look at your life and you think, how did I end up here? I never thought this is where I'd be. You know, some of the last words that Jesus spoke while he was on the cross were these is finished it is finished he didn't say I am finished he said it is finished and you know what it is it is our sin our failure our guilt our shame all those things that bog us down in life you know what they were nailed to the cross God doesn't want us to live with those things. That's why he sent Jesus. So that we can be free and live life in a new way. Always a chance for new possibilities. Always forgiveness. You know, if, if you come to church here on a regular basis, which I encourage you to do, we always have a prayer confession where we just spend some time thinking about our lives and and unloading our burdens, our sin, to God, and then we always have what we call the assurance of pardon. And my favorite assurance of pardon are verses from 2 Corinthians. They say this, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, a brand new person. The old has gone, the new has come. Beautiful verses reminding us there are always new beginnings. You know, I said these verses for years, but I was curious once, so I I looked up the word anyone in the Greek uh, New Testament dictionary. You know, the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And so sometimes in the translation from the Greek to the English, some of the nuances of the words are, are lost. And so when we do what in, we pastors know or theologians know as a word study, we look up the word in the Greek and see if, if there are other nuances that are missed in the English. So I did that. I did a little word story. You know what I found? This is really cool. You know what anyone means in Greek? Anyone. Just want you to know I'm working hard. <laughs> Anyone. Anyone. Anyone who is in Christ or who has Christ in them, which we will talk about in a second, is a brand new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Good news. From this passage, we also see there's a second way that Easter can make a difference in our lives. Because of the resurrection, 
we have access to a power to live our lives in a new way. You know, so often in life, we can come to a point where we feel powerless, right? We feel trapped. Sometimes we, we can't overcome an obstacle. We can't defeat an old habit. Ever feel that way? The last couple of years, you know, been tough. We've come up against some, uh, some big challenges. Come up against this little thing that we can't even see that reminds us that we are not as immune little pun intended there, to the unpredictability of life as we thought. Reminds us that we are not in control of our lives that we would like to think. And now with the events in Ukraine and this talk of nuclear war that we haven't heard in years, decades, yeah, we're aware life can be scary. And we're not in control, folks. We're never in control. Sometimes we have the illusion that we are, but we're not. And so I've wondered over these last couple of years about how will we come out of this pandemic as people? How's it going to change us? Because it has to change us, right? This is a big event. How are we going to be different? And as a pastor, I really have wondered, how will this affect people's faith, their spirituality? How will it affect the church? Will it be like 9-11 when we saw this spike in church attendance after that terrible event? Or will it be exactly the opposite? I didn't know. But as people began to trickle back in person, as I began to get to know this congregation after a year and three months, this is what I think. I think people want to connect to God in new ways. They've looked at their life and they think, you know, there, there's more to life than just making money and and going along and accumulating material things and all the rest, I think people have gone back to, you know, what God has created us to experience in life, which is a relationship with God and relationships with people. They want to know God's power in their lives. This article in CNN this morning, it it cited a Pew Research Center survey that was done in 2020 that revealed three in ten Americans said the pandemic has increased their faith And during one particularly frightening stretch of the pandemic, Google searches for prayer, the word prayer, surged to the highest level ever recorded. What does that tell us? It tells us when we come up against something bigger than ourselves, we are acutely aware that we need something bigger than ourselves to overcome it, right? And it's not just during a pandemic that we realize our lack of power. I think we need power every day just to manage our lives, don't you? In the 21st century, man, we were reminded that we need power in our lives to, to overcome a bad habit, an addiction, power to love someone maybe who's hard to love, power to forgive someone that who has hurt us deeply, power to save a relationship, to try to put a relationship back together, power to be a good parent, power to get our eyes off ourselves and be unselfish. We need power in our lives. And here's the truth I really want you to hear this morning. What we need is a power greater than ourselves. We were never meant 
We were not created to live life on our own power. You know, theologians use this term, a Latin term, extranos, outside of ourselves. We need something outside of ourselves to save us, to give us power to live each day. And Peter writes of this in this scripture. He writes of a living hope. You know what that says? It's a hope that comes, can come to us each day. A power that's available us, to us to live lives in a new way. He's referring, folks, to the risen, living Christ. Christ is not dead, is he? Remember? He's risen. He's alive. And here's what I think is maybe the most miraculous thing about Easter and how it can affect our lives. Jesus isn't just alive, but he can live in us. Scriptures make it very clear. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to help us experience the power of Christ in our lives. The very life of the risen Christ can evade our soul. The life of God, Zoe, which is written about so much in the New Testament. The abundant life, the uncreated life of God can be in us. Amazing. Invade our soul. Pulsate. Oh, when that happens, you know what? We have a power greater than ourselves. Living right inside of us. There's a verse in the book of Ephesians that talks about this. How incredibly great is his power to help those who believe in him. The mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Same power. Is available to us. Folks, you don't have to live alone on your own power. God wants to give you resurrection life. Third way that the resurrection can make a difference is because of the resurrection, we can live our lives free of the fear of death. You know, I haven't read any statistics lately, but I'm pretty sure the death rate is still hovering right around 100%. I don't want to ruin this beautiful Easter morning, but I have news for you. Every one of us is going to die. We're all going to die. There's no getting around it. In fact, it's one of the few things in life that is very sure. Have you ever been to the website deathclock.com? If you haven't, you should. It's the website's friendly reminder, it says, that life is slipping away second by second. (laughs) I went to Death Clock. What you do is you plug in your date of birth, whether you're a smoker or not a smoker. You plug in your BMI. Your outlook on life, is it positive, optimistic, negative, pessimistic? And then you hit the little button, and it tells you when you're going to (laughs) die. The date. How many seconds you have left? I plugged it in about an hour, well, about 7 o'clock this morning. Give you an update. (laughs) 
I have 775,144,980 seconds left as of an hour, a couple hours ago. 978.77. We don't really know what, when we're going to die, but we know we're going to. It's a question every one of us has asked. Every human ever lived has asked that question. What happens after I die? It's one of the big human questions. Not religious questions so much, just a human question. What is this all about? Is this the end after I die? What happens? Well, because of the resurrection, you know what? We can answer that question. Did you catch what our scripture said this morning? Through the resurrection, we can have an inheritance that is secure, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We can have eternal life. Pretty good news, too. You know what? This is the central message of Easter. This is really the central message of the Christian faith. Christ defeated death, our final enemy for each one of us. And Christ's victory is our victory. Because of the resurrection, we don't have to live in fear of death. And can I tell you, when, when you've dealt with your death, you're really free to live. <laughs> Changes everything. Let me close with this story. I, my mom grew up in Greece on the island of Lesbos, this island in the northeast Aegean, and then came to the United States to begin high school. And my mom had a lot of disappointment in life, two marriages, lots of hurt. It's hard being an immigrant's kid, you know. Are you Greek? Are you American? Do you live according to those customs, new customs? She grew up um, Greek Orthodox, like every Greek in Greece. And she raised the three of us, three kids. Join her life for us three kids. I was the favorite, by the way. <laughs> and all of, all of us, by, you know, we weren't raised in the church. We were baptized Greek Orthodox, but then after that, nothing. And my brother, who's older than me, who's now a congregational pastor, became a Christian, and then my sister, who is the middle, and then me. And my, my mom noticed, you know, she watched all this. Became a little worried about us. <laughs> but she saw the changes in us. And it was intriguing for her. You know, she thought it was just a fad, but then... She saw, no, they're sticking to it. She looked at the changes and she was attracted to it. So she wanted it. She said, you know, as she put it, I grew up Greek Orthodox. I knew about God. But I didn't know God. Difference, you know. You can know all about God. You can be the greatest theologian in the world and not know God. 
not know God's love, really know God's love, God's presence in your life, God's power. There's a difference, folks. And so she had this experience and she started feeling the love of God, God's presence. She's like 65 years old, toward the end of her life, you know, the final chapter. And I remember her telling me, I wish I had known this all my life. My life would have been so different. Kind of reminds me of that parable, you know, the vineyard workers, the last hour worker who comes uh, at the last hour to work in the vineyard. But it changed her. You know, she had always been kind of anxious, worried a lot. It kind of dissipated. She became more grateful, more joyful, really. Anyways, the last years of her life, she was 85. She moved up to be near us, my, my family, to spend the last years of her life. And she was in a memory care unit because she was starting to lose her memory. And I, I would try to go over there most nights to say goodnight, tuck her into bed. You know, she's always small. She claimed to be 5'1". I don't think she was ever more than 4'11". <laughs> and now, you know, toward the end of her life, she looked like a little, little doll. I tucked her into bed. We always had a ritual. We would eat some C's candy, drink a little whiskey. <laughs> her idea, not mine. <laughs> so I got her into bed, and I looked at it, leaned down. I said, Sagapo, which is one of the few Greek words I know. I love you. And she did something surprising that night. She pulled me in close. And she looked at me right in the eyes and she said, Stevie, you're my favorite. No, she didn't say it. <laughs> Stevie, the end is near. She was always intuitive. Just so it happened, she started having dreams, seeing visions, which often happens. The end is near kind of stunned me. I said, I know, Mom. You know, I want you to know all us kids, the grandkids, will take care of each other. We're going to be all right. You have been such a good mom. I love you so much. I love you too, she said, so much. And there was a pause, and I said, Mom, are you okay with dying? Are you afraid? She wrinkled up her nose. I think she even laughed a little bit. She goes, no! I can't wait to see what heaven is like. Because of the resurrection, friends, believe this, there's always a chance for new beginnings. Because of the resurrection, we can have power in our lives beyond ourselves. And because of the resurrection, we can laugh at death. Because he is risen. He is risen. Good job. 
<laughs> Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this day. We're grateful that it seems like this pandemic is coming to an end, that we can gather back together and be with people we love. We can hug each other, love each other, and be together to worship you. We thank you for the good news that we've heard this morning from this passage in 1 Peter. Such good news. Lord, that there's always forgiveness. I pray for anyone here today who is really struggling, who has come to the end of their rope. I pray that they would know that your address is at the end of our ropes. That you will give them a new beginning, a new start. There's always forgiveness. And not only that, but that you will give them power to live life in a new way and to be free from our final enemy, death itself. God, we're grateful for these things. May we live with these truths implanted in our hearts. And may we be people of hope. As together we look forward to the day when we will be with you in a place where there is no more pain and no more sorrow, no more tears, no more cancer, no more wars, no more pandemics, where every tear will be wiped away. Until that day, help us to be people of hope and help us to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.